Hey, Greg, what's going on? It's good to have you out on the podcast. Hey, man, how are you doing? It's good to be here. Awesome. Hey, so for those listeners out there that don't maybe know a whole lot about you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yep. So I am a uh, serial entrepreneur, real estate developer. I've been in the business since 1997 and uh, started out as a remodeling contractor, uh, handyman company, and uh, took that from nothing uh, to a $30 million company in about seven years. Uh, became a, a luxury home, uh, resort home builder um, and uh, developer. And then I started uh, 12 other companies along the way. Uh, some of them related to the construction industry. You know, some of them weren't during that seven year period and uh, pretty much sold everything off and, and you know uh, now just focus primarily on development and investments and things like that so i still buy companies uh build them up sell them off and uh you know i develop real estate what are some of the developments that you do like what kind of real estate do you develop you know commercial uh, residential multifamily, just all kinds of different things infill development so i'll go into an existing uh neighborhood and uh, tear something down and, and, you know, build back or I'll go in where there's a vacant lot, you know, in the middle of a, an established area it can be commercial, it can be residential, and then, you know, build something there. Uh, and then there's the, you know, residential subdivision model where you take land and turn it into, you know, residential lots, you turn it into a mixed use where you've got commercial residential, you know, that kind of stuff. So what kind of turned you on to, you know, uh, what's, I just totally lost the word. What turned yeah, you on to... Estate. Yeah. What turned you on to developing? So, yeah, that's just where I started. So I started as a, like I said, as a contractor and I was working for other people that were, uh, so I was on a resort area off the coast of North Carolina, the Outer Banks of North Carolina. So the people that were coming there buying properties were investors and, you know, a lot of them were developers in other areas. So I kind of learned by working for them and they were buying houses, renovating them and selling them, hiring me to do the work and building spec houses and selling them. So, um, you know, and they were hiring me to do the work. And then of course, you know, the, the beach was growing and everybody was developing. So I started buying land and developing land and, you know, did some commercial, did some residential. So, you know, it just, it just, it's just what I've done. It's just what I started out doing and it's what I've done. And, you know, my real estate came after the building. So when I first started out, I didn't know anything about real estate. I didn't, I had no clue. Uh, my first deal was a lot flip that a friend of mine who was a realtor came to me and said, hey, we can buy this lot for, I don't even remember what it was, let's just say it's $100,000 and you know, my dad's got a client that'll buy it from us for 150. And I'm like, you can do that? And he's like, yeah. So he said, you put up the money, I'll do everything else and we'll split the profit. I'm like, okay. So I put up all the money, he took care of everything and we split 50 grand like 30 days later. And I just, I had no idea you could do that. So that's kind of when my eyes were open to the world of real estate investment. So again, this is back in 1997, 98. So there wasn't internet and all this stuff that we have now. So real estate investing, you know, I mean, there were people doing it, but it wasn't as mainstream as it is now, especially like syndication, that kind of stuff. So, I mean, there was Carlton Sheets out there and, you know, the late night infomercial guys and Russ Whitney was one of the educators in the space. And, you know, Dave Lindahl was getting started back then, you know, he's an apartment guy. So once I started learning about the possibility and potential, I started studying and reading those guys and, and found a lot of those resources. So, uh, it was just a, a gradual progression from there. And then, you know, I learned a lot um, by doing business for and with these other developers. And, you know, they kind of became my mentors over the years. So some very high level, very successful developers, some of them four or $500 million, you know, in terms of net worth, you know, were coming down and buying beach houses. And uh, so, you know, I would, I would learn from them. Other business, you know, entrepreneurs, <clears throat> you know, investors and developers. So I was very fortunate to to learn a lot from these people by working with them and doing deals with them along the way. 
That's really awesome. So you said yeah. you started back in 97, 98. So you've been through yeah. two now, almost three recessions and kind of downturns in the market. So how yeah, would you, a little bit. How would you say that development, you know, fares when, when a downturn comes? You know, it just depends on what it is. So um, really the only one that I, the big downturn I went through was 2008, 2009. <clears throat> and then now this one, you know, when I started in 97, 98, we were coming off the tail end of, of the, you know, the 90s, you know, early to mid 90s kind of SNL crisis thing. So I wasn't really, I owned a house, but I was living in it. So I wasn't really, you know, affected by anything then. And I was in the construction business back then and restaurants. So, you know, I, I, I kind of knew what happened there. Construction just got wiped out. Because, you know, again, real estate and development is all about the financing. It's all about the lending, right? So the money is what creates the deal and creates the opportunity. So the SNL crisis, all that was a banking crisis that took out the real estate market. 2008, 2009, again, was a banking crisis. You know, funding dried up. So that affected everybody. So as a developer, you know, we were borrowing money, you know, on a credit score. Now I had a company, I had cash flow, I had, you know, net worth and all that. But in general, the people I was building for, they were coming down just with no money. They had a good credit score. The way we were doing the projects, I would build them these houses. They were worth so much more on the back end. They could get no-doc loans and, um, you know, qualify on loan to value, not loan to cost. So they would get all their money out of the deal and end up with a million dollar, $2 million beach house with no cash in it, right? So that's what was kind of going on back then. You could do the same thing with commercial. You could do it with anything. So when the financing dried up and the, the liquidity dried up and we had all this inventory out there, just everything just crashed, right? So that was 2008 and nine, you know, so that was a banking housing market crisis because of inventory and the ease of borrowing money. So over the past 10 years, you know, things have been kind of catching up. So, you know, back then I had, I don't know, $35 million worth of product that I delivered um, to the market. I had construction loans on and I was in the process of trying to get my permit financing. So, you know, that was a very difficult time, 2008, eight nine, and I learned a ton, you know, working with the banks and going through that, working all those out. Um, and, you know, so now fast forward to today, you know, and what we're dealing with now, <clears throat> we haven't seen any real effects to the, to the real estate or housing market yet because we're just, just, just too early and this is an artificial thing. This is not a banking crisis. It's not an economic crisis. It's a shutdown of the economy. So, it, it, and, you know, and it's only 20 25% of the economy has been shut down. The bulk of it is still functioning. Um, so, you know, maybe it's 30%. I, you know, at the end of the day, we'll see what the numbers are when everybody looks back of what the real loss to GDP is. But right now it's probably 25, 30%. So there's still a good 70% that's operating. Uh, and it's going to come back over the next 12 to 18 months, you know, two years. So it's, it's not the same thing. The people that are still able to buy a house are still able to buy a house. The people that were still able to develop real estate and, you know, build and do those things are still doing it. So um, in most areas, unless you're completely shut down like New York, you know, construction is still happening. So it hasn't really affected things that way at this point. And here we are, you know, April 28th of 2020, for anybody who's listening or, or watching this down the road. So as of April 28th, 2020, we still don't know what the future holds for this whole situation. You know, they're starting to open back up. My area is not, most areas haven't, but some states are slowly. So the question is, how long is it going to take? What is it going to look like on the other side? And what's going to be the real impact? And are we going to have to shut down again in the fall if and when this flares back up again? So right now, everything's good. Everything's healthy. You know, the lending environment's changed a little bit. Loans have gotten a little bit more expensive, a little bit more difficult to get right now. 
But if everything comes back to normal, all that will change and everything will be fine. Or it could get worse, even more difficult, then we can have some real effects on the housing market and the commercial real estate market. Now, the sectors that are affected right now are retail, hospitality, and those types of things. Nobody's gonna be developing that anytime soon. Uh, that market's in real trouble. Those assets are in real trouble. But as far as the residential housing market, multifamily, industrial, self-storage, those uh, segments of the industry are still doing fine. Wow. I would love to dive into all that, but I think I'm going to try. <laughs> I'm going to steer us back to the topic of the podcast. Yeah. So uh, how have you grown your business to where it is today? And then how can we build our quote unquote brand, so to say, in order for investors to invest with us? Well, first thing is to have a, a brand, right? So the first thing you want to think about is, you know, who you are and what you want to be and create that brand, that logo, that image. Okay, so that's first and foremost. So when I started back in 1997, 98, uh, and this is any business in any sector, no matter what you're doing. Um, when I moved to the Outer Banks of North Carolina and I decided I was going to open a restaurant and I got into construction instead, which I had a background in restaurants and construction, I decided I wanted to do this. First thing I said is, okay, what am I going to call myself? And here I am, a new guy, never really, you know, been there before. Um, and I said, I need a name that's going to resonate with people and make it sound like I've been in the business forever. So I looked up Outer Banks Construction. Nobody had that name. I mean, everybody was Outer Banks whatever. And that's an iconic name. The, the Outer Banks itself is a brand that's known throughout the country. That's where the Wright Brothers took off in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. So throughout the region of the destination of that beach, it's, you know, people have those stickers all over their car, right? The Outer Banks. So... I called myself Outer Banks Construction. So instantly it made it sound like I'd been there forever. You know, they're like, man, if you got that name, you hadn't been there forever. So I created my brand around that. And then from a growth standpoint, what I had to do was I had to develop myself as a leader, delegator, motivator. In order to grow and scale a company, you have to become a leader, delegator, motivator. You have to have a vision and you have to be able to, to find great people to execute on that vision. And you have to inspire results out of people. That's what leaders do. So um, I was fortunate enough in my real estate career to learn business, to learn leadership, and to learn how to be a delegator. You know, when you're running restaurants, you can't do everything yourself. You have to multitask, you have to delegate, you have to lead. Very high pressure, very fast pace. So that transcended well. And also I have a military background. So I went, to, I went in the Navy right out of high school, didn't go to college. Um, so I learned a lot about leadership and delegation in the military, right? So you have uh, you know, your chain of command and everything trickles down and then, you know, the troops execute on the orders. So um, you, when you take that approach to business and the same thing in a restaurant, leadership, management, delegation, execution of operations, um, you know, I put all of that into place in my business. The other key thing that I did was I read, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And when I read that book, um, what I got out of it was build businesses that generate cash flow to invest in other assets. A lot of people get real estate out of that. But I got, I got that. So what I knew I had to do was I had to build a business and then eventually other businesses. And that's why I did that because literally Rich Dad had all these different businesses and he was investing. So I thought that's what you're supposed to do. Now, going back again, I would have focused more on my main business and just blew that up versus getting distracted with other businesses. But I like helping people. So all of the other businesses I got involved with, I was more, it was a joint venture with other people and helping them build up a business and selling it off, um, you know, through coaching and mentoring them and their business. So, uh, so it was fun. So anyways, I built these businesses to generate cash flow to invest in other assets. So, so your business right now is your W2. 
So you want to increase that, build that, make as much as you can on that. If you can do a side business to generate more revenue, then you want to use that and grow and scale and invest. And eventually you can have your own company and just move forward on your own. So that's kind of where it starts, but your brand is important. It has to be, your logo has to be easily recognizable. Um, you know, and if you're in a business where people are driving by signs in a yard or driving by a billboard or whatever, they need to quickly identify that, you know, like 7-Eleven or like Nike or like Apple. Those logos are iconic. So you want to make sure your logo is iconic. You want to make sure you've got a tagline that resonates with, you know, what you are and your values and what you do. You know, like, uh, you know, again, Microsoft, yes, you can. Nike, just do it. Apple, I don't even remember what Apple is now, but, um, <laughs> you know, Coca-Cola, you know, um, have a Coke and a smile used to be their thing. You know, so if you think about iconic brands, they all have this tagline, you know. So I had restaurants, some seafood restaurants. It was the place to go for seafood. I had a real estate building company, the place to go for real estate, you know. So, you know, those types of things. My education program, you know, is, is the school of entrepreneurship you know, uh, stuff like that. So you want to make sure that you've got an image, you know, a tagline that clearly explains what it is you are and what you're all about. Um, and then everything else has to be, especially if you're in the world of multifamily and you're trying to raise money, or if you're, you know, in real estate or business, and you're trying to raise money and raise investors, that brand needs to be polished. It needs to look professional and it needs to convey trust and authority when people look at it so that you are a legitimate candidate for somebody to put their money into so just like you, if you're looking to invest in something, you want to make sure that that thing is put together, polished and, and professional and easily conveys what it is they're doing. Okay. So then on to the next question, how can we build our brand in order for investors to want to invest with us? Like how do we create trust and make it seem like we're the professional? You got to become an expert. So you have to educate yourself. You have to build your knowledge of the business that you're in, whether it's multifamily, commercial, residential, you need to be an expert in that space and know everything about it, all the KPIs, you know, all the metrics, um, how the business works. You need to know the markets you're investing in and you need to be dialed in. So you need to say, I invest in apartments, you know, uh, class, you know, B and C apartments in the Southeast region from Florida up into Alabama. I'm looking, you know, 100 to 200 units. Uh, and we do a value add play. So you want to have a very simple sentence of what it is that you do, very dialed in, very specific, very focused versus I invest in apartments all over the country, you know, whereas you're like, we buy class B and C properties in the Southeast in secondary tertiary markets that we can add value about a hundred units to 200 units, you know, two, three million to 10 million. That's very specific, very focused and it makes you sound like a pro. So that's first and foremost, you've got to position yourself as an expert through knowledge and through an understanding of your assets and your markets that you're investing in. And then you have to create a thought leadership platform to get your message out there. So what I teach everybody to do is start with video. So you want to create video content like these interviews. You want to get them in video format so they're up on YouTube because people invest with those that they know, like, and trust. So, you know, if your network is limited and you can't network, especially right now, you can't go meet people, you need to get yourself out there. So the best way to do that is through video. So creating video content, it can be through interviews like this. It can be just different thought leadership pieces. Uh, get your video out there on YouTube and all the platforms and share that content out there and also doing what you're doing now. So you start a podcast, uh, which is very easy to do now with the tools that are out there and you start interviewing experts. So you can interview people like me. You can interview uh, commercial lenders, commercial brokers, commercial property managers, um, SEC attorneys, um, 
you know, appraisers, you know, anybody and everybody who's involved in the industry you're in, for you it's multifamily syndication. So anybody and everybody who services that industry, um, you wanna interview them and ask them questions and learn from them. So two things happen. One, you're learning. Two, you get perceived as the expert by interviewing these people and having them on. And then as you build and build and build, you can get higher and higher level guests, you know, on your show, which just builds and builds and builds. And then that's out there, that's content, people are seeing it, and then they start reaching out to you. So as you're doing all that producing it, you want to make sure you've got a call to action at the end of it all somewhere. Hey, to learn more about investing in X, you know, click here. So, um, so that's how you do that. Did, did any of the listeners catch that? He's telling us we need to convey ourselves as professionals as he calls himself a professional. <laughs> but no, no, you are, Greg. You've got years and years of experience, way more than I do. So how do we know, how do we know what the like happy medium is between focusing on the business, like actually doing, let's say like the syndication side of the business versus the educational side and trying to build that thought leadership platform? You know, it kind of all goes together. Um, you know, as you're, like I said, as you're looking, you know, at properties, you can get brokers on and interview them and talk about deals and stuff like that. And the, you know, the thought leadership side doesn't take long, you know, a couple hours a week, you know, and you've got great thought leadership pieces out there and you can leverage and outsource a lot of that. You know, right now it takes a little bit of time if you're doing it all yourself, but as you grow and scale, you can build a team to where you're just doing these things, you know, an hour or two, you know, a day or a week, <clears throat> you know, at some point you want to build it to where you're doing definitely daily content, but at least weekly and keeping it consistent and keeping it out there. Um, you know, so it's, it's just all part of the business. So if you're working full time, you know, you just got to put in the hours, right? You got to get up earlier. You know, you've got to cut out, you know, any of that dead time that you would normally be watching Netflix or, you know, hanging out at the bar or going to a ball game, whatever it is, that stuff needs to be put away. So that, so <clears throat> the number one way I built all my companies and all my businesses, I focused on it and I, you know, I wasn't spending time doing idle pursuits. I spent every extra minute I had building the business and doing what it took to build that business. Now, I wasn't a workaholic. What I'm saying is instead of sitting in front of the TV for a couple of hours, I was doing what I needed to do, you know, to build that business. So for me, I love it. I love business. I love those activities. So that was my hobby. Now, you know, I had some downtime here and there, obviously, but uh, that's really it. You know, any idle time you have, any extra time you have, spend it focused on building content, building your thought leadership platform, learning, educating yourself, you know, things like that. And then as you grow and you become full time, you know, it's just part of your business. And, uh, you know, as you build your team and your company, generally in most of these structures, you know, somebody's focused on investor relations and thought leadership and, you know, building all of that, the marketing and things like that. And then they have a team that executes on the day to day. Okay. So real estate specific, I see on your website, you've got a bunch of different uh, courses that incorporate different niches of real estate investing. Yeah. So which, in your experience, which niche would you say is the greatest for producing long-term wealth? You know, obviously commercial real estate. Um, uh, you know, you can grow and scale and go bigger, faster with that. But uh, residential for somebody can be their fastball. I know a lot of people that have created, you know, great wealth in residential. Um, you know, but you're going to be limited there because it's, it's much, it's fragmented, it's smaller deals, smaller chunks, you know, you have to get into development there to make any kind of real money on residential. Um, on the commercial side, I mean, it just, you know, houses are only going to cost so much where you can do, you know, hundred million dollar transaction on the commercial side of one shot. You can't do that in residential. Um, you know, I mean, you could do one of those a month, you know, in commercial. So, uh, commercial multifamily is definitely the way to, to grow and scale and create significant wealth quickly. 
So all the options out there that there are in real estate investing, should we be focusing on like just commercial, just like one specific niche or should we kind of be dipping our toes into all of it to diversify our portfolio? You want to focus on something, one thing right now, whatever that is. So if that's multifamily, if it's self-storage, if it's, you know, mobile home parks, you know, if it's industrial, whatever it is right now to get started. If, if you're just starting out, pick a niche, focus on it, grow and scale that and get that built up and automated. Then once you've done that and become an expert and you've got, you know, good resources uh, and cash flow, then you can maybe, you know, diversify into some other assets. But right now, focus is 100% of the game the quickest way to scale is focus. And you know, early on, that's what I had was my main building company. I focused on that, grew and scaled that business, but I could have done tenfold what I did had I not gotten sidetracked with doing a bunch of other different businesses along the way. Uh, you know, and just going back, I just, you know, didn't, all I knew was what I knew, you know, and I didn't really, but the people that I was learning from when I look back, they had one thing. You know, one, one guy was developing retail and office. That's all he did. Another guy was doing multifamily. That's all he did. Some were doing subdivisions. That's all they did. So generally, you want to have one main business model that, you know, really what I tell people is whatever's making you the most money, focus on that, blow that up. And then once that's on autopilot, then you can reinvest the profits and start branching out a little bit. Okay. Uh, someone told me the, just last week, uh, we were kind of talking about it and they said that they recommended that most people start with something like wholesaling when it comes to real estate, because it's, you know, practically risk-free. Right. What, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? You know, it just depends on your resources. So if you have no money, no experience and, and, you know, no resources, that's a great way to get started. That's not investing. That's transactional, like being a realtor you know, basically what you're doing is you're finding a property directly from a seller under market value. You're getting it under contract to purchase with the option, with the ability to assign it to an end buyer. And then you go find, you know, that end buyer and you get a fee. You want to start with your buyers first. You need to build a buyer's list first, you know, find people that are buying properties, what they're looking for. And then you go shopping to find motivated sellers. Um, so that's an easy, low barrier to entry way to get started. It's as simple as if you have zero money, you can drive around your area and identify properties that either look abandoned and vacant or just very, uh, you know, very uh, properties that are in uh, bad shape, you know, and need a lot of work. And this can be commercial or residential. Uh, wholesaling residential is very difficult. You know, you need, I mean, commercial is, is much more difficult and you need commercial buyers, but residential is a lot easier. So you can really start with nothing. You can send letters out, you know, to people. You can, you know, just cold call people. But there's apps now that are free that you can sit in front of the house, put the address in. It'll give you the owner's name and phone numbers and you can just start calling and find out if they want to sell their house. So that's a quick, easy way to get started. But the key is you got to have the buyers on the back end first. You got to find who's buying houses in your area to either rent or to renovate and flip so that when you do find a deal, you can put it under contract, take it to them. Um, you can even start out by working for some of those investors that are flipping houses and wholesaling houses and learn from them because they're always looking for people, bird dogs, you know, acquisitions, people, dispositions. So there's ways to get started in the industry if you have nothing. Now, if you do have some resources, you know, obviously you can make, um, you know, more money per deal if you're buying and selling. You're actually taking the house down and selling it yourself. You know, that's, that's just a retail flip. Maybe it needs a little bit of cosmetic stuff or you can do full on, you know, flip and renovations. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's the quickest, easiest way to get started in the real estate business. But again, it's not investing, it's transactional. You're earning a fee and it's a business and you got to be able, it's a marketing, you know, thing. It's, it's, you got to talk to a lot of sellers, you got to generate a lot of leads and you got to look at a lot of properties. 
make a lot of offers. So there's so, <clears throat> excuse me, there's so much information out there regarding real estate, real estate investing mm -hmm. in the works. Yeah, so, you know, I'm a new, say I'm a newbie coming into it, have no idea what's going on. And, you know, I could take the time, the months that it would take to just educate myself, or I could get a mentor. Um, <clears throat> I see that you have some mentorship programs on your website. Right. So how do I know if I, if I need a mentor, I guess? Yeah, everybody does, right? I, you know, everybody does in terms of wanting to learn, you know, because the thing, thing is, you don't know what you don't know. None of us do. And if you're just getting into the business, if you think about any other profession, like the legal profession, you go to work at a law firm, law firm they're going to assign you a mentor. They do that for a reason. You go to work, you know, as a doctor, you got to do your residency and your internship. That's mentorship. You know, they assign you mentors. Um, you know, almost any industry, probably where you work, I'm sure there's a lead, you know, a lead crew chief or somebody that's like a mentor, right? Uh, same thing in construction. When you go to work on a job site, you have a foreman. That is your mentor. They teach you the business and the trade. So everybody needs somebody who's been in the business and has been successful at the business because they know all the ins and outs and the tricks of the trade and they've made all the mistakes. So the return on your investment in mentorship is huge. Now, mentorship can come in a lot of ways, okay? For me, it was reading books, going to seminars and learning like that, and then learning by working for uh, other, other investors and developers. So that's kind of how I, I got mentored. Another way was, as I built my company, I hired employees that knew way more than I did because I'd never built a house before I started building houses. So I went and hired people that had been doing it for 20 years in my area from the top building company to come work for me to teach me how to build houses and how to build a building company. So they mentored me and I was paying them as my employees. Uh, so that's another way. And then you have true paid mentorships where you hire a professional in a niche, like, you know, somebody that's teaching other people and coaching other people. And then they teach you how to do it. And I, and I do that as well. So, um, so that's the level and layers of mentorship. But at the end of the day, if you want to avoid mistakes, if you want to save yourself a ton of time, energy, effort, and money, um, you know, and you want to fast track your results, you know, you got to find a mentor, somebody who, you know, is doing, has done uh, what it is you want to do. Find somebody who is where you want to be and go learn from them. And those are the three ways you can do it. Work for them, work with them, or uh, hire them. Perfect. So how do I find a great mentor for me? And then how do I agree to get them to actually mentor me if I'm not really contributing like any value because I don't know anything? You won't. So, you know, nobody's going to mentor you, you know, people aren't going to waste their time. So, um, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons I do paid mentorships now. So I've done it where I've joint venture with people in their business. Somebody came to me and either had a business and wanted me to help them or they were working somewhere and they had an idea and they came to me and said, Hey, I want to do this. And they're like, look, if you'll put up the money, I'll do everything else. So, but they were experts. They'd been in that field, you know, it was a pool, pool spa landscaping company. So this guy had been selling pools and spas for one of the top companies for like 10 years. He wanted his own business, but he had no money and did not know how to start a business. So he came to me and I helped, you know, I, I funded it, started it, but he ran it. So he worked in it, did it, but he was an expert. He knew what he was doing. So you've got to have something. You got to have something to offer a contribute for somebody to put their time into you because people reach out to people like me all the time. Hey, will you mentor me? And I give advice to people and they don't do anything, you know? So it's like, I'm not going to waste my time. I'm 52. You know, I want to make an impact. I'm trying to help people. I love helping people, but I'm not interested in wasting my time. So if you're not willing to invest in yourself, then why should I invest in you? Right? So, you know, if you're not willing to invest in yourself, you're just not serious. And 
everybody has to pay for their education one way or the other. If you're going to college, you got to pay for it. They're not going to just, they're not going to just give you a degree and say, Hey, pay me when you get your degree and go to work, you know, or whatever, you know? So, um, you know, I've invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in myself and my education. So the way to get mentored, if you don't have any money and you, you're not in a position to do that is you learn by doing working for somebody. So again, I had a contracting company and I was working for high level people learning from them. Um, I had a business. I hired professionals to come work for me at all levels from a chief financial officer uh, who taught me about business and accounting and how, how to read and, and uh, understand financials. Um, that's who taught me about business and financials. Um, I worked in a restaurant, learned how to manage people, lead, delegate, motivate. I was in the military, learned a lot. So I learned, you know, through my career, you know, from mentors. So that's one way, working for somebody. Uh, another way is hiring people to work for you. And then again, the third way is you just pay a mentor that's, you know, teaching, coaching, and training. But you got to make sure you got the right one because there's a lot of junk out there. And the way to tell is if, if these people are saying, you know, I have, here's the one system where you can stay home and from your cell phone and you can flip houses and you never, that's not who you want, okay? You want real people that are interested in your success. And all you got to do is go on their uh, video channels and their content. And if they're constantly selling you something versus teaching you, then you know, that's somebody who's only interested in selling you something and not interested in your success and helping you and coaching you. So, you know, you got to be real careful, you know, what you, what you fall into out there. Okay. So now I have a mentor now I'm in the business. I'm mm -hmm. learning what I need to know. Uh, you know, I get catapulted to success now that I have this mentor. So how do I eventually achieve then a mentor mindset and uh, eventually become a mentor for someone else. So the first step in a mindset of mentorship is knowing that you don't know what you don't know and all you know is what you know. And realizing that the more you learn, the more you're gonna realize you don't know. So that's the first step in mentorship is understanding, man, there is so much information and knowledge out there. And you know, the difference between um, me and, you know, like a Donald Trump, just because everybody knows him as a billionaire investor developer, is information, right? So obviously he had some resources because his dad was a developer and all that. So he had his dad as a mentor, as a developer, also some funding. So he had information at the beginning of his career. So it's what you know and when, and then applying that knowledge and information. So from a mentorship standpoint, the awareness of the information is critical at an early stage in your career so you can take that and run with it. Um, the other thing is you kind of always want to be mentoring somebody while you're being mentored as well. So you should always be mentoring somebody and always have somebody mentoring you. No matter where you are or what you're doing, there's always somebody that you can help and mentor uh, in some area of, of your life or their life or whatever. It doesn't necessarily have to be in the business you're in. It could be in something else. So you always want to be giving back and pouring into others. And that can be a lot of different ways. It can be through community involvement. Uh, it can be, you know, being on the board of something. It can be, you know, through just helping individuals. It can be through coaching, like sports and things like that. I coached all my kids' sports all the way up, you know, but I mentored everybody who was in my company, all the people that I did deals and businesses, you know, with and things like that. So, you know, the mindset of mentorship is a mindset of giving, serving, and that's really what it all comes down to first. As a leader, first and foremost, you're, you're a servant. It used to be the leader was at the top of the pyramid and everybody else was underneath that leader. You know, I've always had the other way around. The leader is at the bottom of the organization and it's their job to give everybody in the organization they need to be successful. Tools, training systems and support to be successful and the clear direction and no uncertain terms exactly what's expected and when. 
So when you realize that your job as a leader is to serve others, then that mindset of sharing, giving, and mentorship comes out. And that's, that's just kind of a, uh, you know, a mindset that you want to carry the rest of your life. Be a lifelong learner. Yeah, of course. Now, let me also ask, would it be better for us to get a local mentor or like an out-of-state mentor? Like what if we can't find someone locally, but we have someone, you know, that we can pay or whatever that's out of state? What, what's more, I guess, achievable? You know, it does. It depends on what you're doing. So, you know, from the, from the standpoint of real estate, you know, like multifamily, commercial, things like that, it, you know, it doesn't have to be local. And chances are you're probably not going to be able to find what you're looking for local unless you're going to go to work for somebody, you know. So if you want to go to work for somebody, then, yeah, you need to look local. But as far as knowledge of the business and the market goes, they don't need to be local. Real estate's real estate no matter where it is. Um, the, the, the systems, the processes, the techniques are universal in real estate all over the country. The only thing that's different is the topography. Real estate is hyper-local. So, you know, learning the market metrics and the sweet spots, you know, is the only difference. But I can go in any market and know immediately right away where the hot spots are, what the best, you know, where the best place to be is and what the best niche is to be in. So, you know, that's universal and transfers over. And there are real estate investment groups uh, in, in local areas that you can go to and learn, you know, for free and make connections and things like that. But it's more important to find somebody that you resonate with, that you connect with, that is where you want to be, has done what it is you want to do and is doing what you want to do. So that's more important than finding somebody local because you'll limit yourself to who you can be exposed to. But if you want hands-on boots on the ground, somebody there, then, you know, you, you can find somebody local and, and do it that way. How can we ever get to the level of success that you've achieved? Uh, pour into yourself. First and foremost, you got to develop yourself first and foremost, educate yourself. You know, again, I've, you know, books, training, seminars, you know, coaching, doing, you know, that's first and foremost to educate yourself and just spend every minute you have. And when I, when I say that, I mean it like going all the way back, you know, to the days of, you know, the Sony Walkman when it was cassette tapes, I never had music. It was always personal and professional development stuff, business, you know, mindset stuff, you know, Zig Ziglar, Tony Robbins, thinking grow rich, um, power of positive thinking, you know, anything and everything success oriented, personal, professional development and real estate. So I was listening to these things. Then it was, it went from the cassette tape to the CD Walkman, you know, to the 80 gig iPod, which, you know, I still had somewhere. Uh, I mean, I've never had music on any device. It's always been personal and professional development stuff. So anytime I'm anywhere pouring into myself while I'm out walking, running, exercising, doing those things, you know, reading, constantly reading, you know, I'm always reading books. I'm always reading about people who have done what I'd like to do or where I want to be. So I'm reading, you know, like Tillman Fertitta. He put a book out recently. He's the, you know, billionaire CEO of, uh, you know, uh, Landry restaurants and he's got casinos and restaurants. He was on the billion dollar buyer CNBC. So I've read his book. I read Sam Walton. I read Truett Cathy, you know, Chick-fil-A. I've read, um, you know, one of my mentors is a billionaire. Uh, he's the former CEO of the dollar general. So not only is he my mentor, but I've read his book, you know, and it's called my father's business. Great book all about dollar general and the history of that company. Uh, he took him from, I can't remember, 16 billion to hundred. I can't remember what it was. He, he took him some unbelievable numbers um, in, in terms of growth when he was a CEO for 20 years. Um, some people like that. So I read books at very high level, you know, uh, Bill Gates, uh, you know, Steve Jobs, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, all that type of stuff. So 
you know, that's the kind of stuff I do, constantly reading and learning from others who went before me, Warren Buffett, you know, people like that, Benjamin Graham, his mentor, um, you know, Charlie Munger, you know, so uh, when you're on YouTube, instead of watching cat videos and silly, you know, street fighting stuff, learn real estate, learn your trade, learn your craft, whatever it is, if you want to be a glass blower, you know, spend all your time perfecting your craft and learning everything you can about that. You know, so that, that's how you become an expert. That's how you grow and scale. All that's great, but none of it matters unless you're willing to get out, take action and put, you know, feet behind all of that. So you got to learn everything, but then you got to take action. You got to get up and do it. You're doing this podcast, you know, so it's, it'd be easy to sit back and sit and educate yourself. I want to do this. I want to do that. But if you never do anything about it, you're never going to get anywhere. So that's the second most really, you know, one of the most important parts of the equation is believing in yourself, educating yourself, and then taking action on what you know and what, and what you've learned. Love it. Yeah. I'm kind of the same way as you uh, at work. We're not allowed to have headphones because we always have to be able to hear what's going on around us, like safety reasons. So I bring a speaker to work and I like to listen to like real estate podcasts, business podcasts, money mm-hmm. podcast and people always look at me so weird like dude what are you listening to turn on some yeah. tunes and i'm like nah i can listen to that anytime like later yeah so yeah uh okay so we're gonna go ahead and transition into the last segment of the show called the core four okay so first question what is your favorite real estate related book favorite real estate related book so um Man, there's so many of them, you know, but I like Sam Zell, the Maverick real estate investor. Sam is the original syndicator. And if I had anybody to learn from, you know, he's the guy. Okay. I can't say I've actually read that book. I need to read that. Yeah. Sam Zell is the bomb. If you don't know Sam Zell, check him out. Okay. Question two, what do you think your unique skill is that helped you become successful? Uh, you know, um, number one, delegation, you know, become a leader, delegator, motivator. So the ability to delegate, let full control go to somebody else, let them do their job and, you know, grow and develop and pour into people. So, you know, my gifting is finding great people and coaching them to success and letting them do their thing. Right. So I'm good at finding Tom Brady, putting him at quarterback and letting him do his job. Last thing I'm going to do is say, man, take two steps before you throw, not three. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Third question. Tell me something that's true about real estate that almost nobody agrees with you on. Something that's true about real estate that nobody agrees with me on. Yeah. I, I don't know that I could find that. It's just I kind of a lot. Yeah. What's that? It's just kind of like a contrary to popular belief question more so than like nobody agrees with you on. Yeah. You know, um, contrary to popular belief, it doesn't take your money to make money in real estate. It takes money, but it doesn't have to take your money. So a lot of people don't, don't, don't believe that and understand it. The other thing is you can do whatever it is you want to do in real estate. You can go as far as you want to go. You can go as big as you want to go. You don't have to start with one house or house hack or whatever. You can start wherever you want to start. And if you want to start with one house and house hack, that's fine too. So, I mean, you know, there's probably all kinds of stuff out there, but um, I don't know that I've ever had anybody that just absolutely didn't agree on something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I love about real estate. No glass ceiling. When, as when, if you work for the man, they're like, yeah, you top out like $30 an hour. And then yeah, real estate, you can do whatever you want. It's creative. It's unique. You know, it's, you can, you know, structure deals any number of ways and, and there are no limits. You can, you can literally go as far as you want to go. Love it. What one piece of advice would you give to our listeners wanting to succeed in real estate investing? 
pour into yourself, develop yourself, develop your extra expertise and continue to be a lifelong learner. Never stop learning, never start, stop networking, never stop growing. Awesome. Okay. So if anybody wants to learn more about you and your business, how can people get in touch with you? Yeah. GregDickerson.com is my website. All my information's on there. YouTube channel, podcast. Um, I put out free content all the time. There's no sales, no fluff. It's just, here's how you do this. Here's how you do that. Here's what a cap rate is. Here's how you develop a commercial building. So it's, it's pretty cool, short, straight to the point. So GregDickerson.com. Well, this has been fantastic, man. I appreciate you coming out on the show. Yeah, I enjoyed it, Josh. Thanks for having me. Hey, well, I hope to talk to you soon, man. Yeah, you too. Take care.